Welcome to the Crafty Ass Female Podcast, an audio show that talks about the resourceful ways we women are living our lives and the crafty projects we create in between. We are your hosts, Amanda Zampelli and Kristen Tweedale, and we believe you are a capable badass who already has all the tools you need to make beautiful things and make beautiful things happen. We're just here to remind you. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Amy. Hello. Welcome to Crafty Ass Female. I'm looking at you right now and you're like bougie podcast chair and I'm like, we got a good guest. (laughs) Okay, guys. So we have Amy E. Smith here with us today and she is a sassy ass life coach who specializes in all things confidence. I love that description. You call people to let go of people pleasing, cultivate self-worth. You teach workshops, you host a podcast, and you tell people to stand up for yourself without being dicks. I love it. Welcome, (laughs) welcome, welcome. So I'm, I, I'm guilty, big people pleaser. My, our listeners on the show know that, but I never thought of it as not cultivating self-worth until I read that on your website. And I was like, oh my God, like, is that what it's been? Like, you know, you, you, you try to find it in the people pleasing, but I'm sure we'll go into it later. Yes. Yes. But that was so interesting to me. So welcome. Did all that seem accurate in the description? No, start over. No, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's absolutely perfect. And cool. I'm I'm super excited to hang out. And I think this is, these are the types of topics that we don't, you don't realize that they're kind of tethered together. We think things like, well, as soon as I get my business up and running, or as soon as I hit this crap show, or as soon as I fill in the blank, then then I'll be a perfect crafty ass female. And we, we don't realize all of the inner workings that's really thwarting that process. So, Amen. We've talked about the arrival fallacy many a time oh. on this podcast. And once we get to ABC, then. Right. And it just, the horizon just keeps getting further and further out of reach. So that's exactly right. I identify with that. So, all right. So let's start at the beginning, wherever that is for you. Sure. So, yeah. So tell us about your early creativity, your creative backstory, how you got into coaching, how the joy junkie came to be. Well, that was actually extremely strategic because I thought, okay, if I ever change niches and I want like joy junkie massage therapy or joy junkie auto body, like I I could still keep my trademark. (laughs) Nice. And not have to rebrand. <laughs> Plus, my name is Amy Smith, so I, the URL wasn't exactly available. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but my journey was, it was interesting. I definitely consider myself a creative. I started my adulting working as a, a makeup artist, and I worked for a prestige makeup brand for, gosh, like eight years and was a corporate trainer, like all the big girl stuff, kind of mm-hmm. dying a slow death. And I probably in like the mid 2000s, I started really getting involved in personal development and my sort of journey with the, the people pleasing concept. And we'll, you know, we'll talk a lot about that today was really truly from my family of origin. So I grew up in an extremely dogmatic born again, Christian family, very evangelical. And I had I had great parents. They, they definitely fostered creativity and things like that, but they, they themselves weren't overtly creative. And there was a lot of things that I found to be really enticing, like 
creating doll clothes or doing hair makeup on my dolls things like that that in in the worldview that i was raised in were was very vain and let's not get sucked i wasn't allowed to have barbies i could only have skipper you know (laughs) that kind of (laughs) they and they meant well but it it really created a distorted view of what's acceptable as a female and i think everything sort of came to a head for me in 07 my my father passed away and at that time i had really twisted and contorted myself to kind of make sure that my parents were always happy with me my so my poor husband i would always tell him when we would go visit my family i would say okay no cussing no drinking don't talk about liberal agenda don't talk about howard stern south park none of it don't talk about any of that stuff you know just be buttoned up and so i i would kind of have a little bit of a veneer quite a veneer when i would be around them and when when my father passed away i think it it really came to a head because being a makeup artist i knew very strongly that i was going to do the makeup for his viewing so i'm doing mortuary makeup on my dead dad Mm. and then i speak to crowds like a crowd of hundreds that showed up for his service and so I was really feeling like I was winning at daughter that day, <laughs> like checking off all the boxes and also a bit of context too. I, I'm the oldest of three and I have two younger brothers who, you know, by all accounts, I was the good kid, right? Checked off all the perfectionist boxes, you know, put myself through college, got married early, out and on my own. They both did jail time, had trouble with the law, didn't finish school, like a lot of, a lot of nonsense. So keep that kind of in mind. So I feel like I'm really kicking ass at daughter that day. We get back home to my parents' house and my mom finds it the most opportune time to tell me that she feels as though my father and her had failed as parents because all three of us were not quote walking with the Lord. So that was a very pivotal moment there for me because I went Well, the first thing I said was, well, you probably shouldn't tell that to a child. You probably shouldn't say that to a child. And she, she said, well, that's just, that's just how I feel. And I realized in that moment that there was a huge sacrifice that happens when we decide that somebody else's wants, opinions, or needs are more important than our own. And I don't think that all scenarios like that our ultimatums like that but i realized in that moment that if i was going to make her happy that was going to mean massive self-sacrifice that i was going to have to completely disregard who i was and my thoughts and opinions and beliefs and so that really began that was sort of the the impetus for me really learning how to find my voice how to speak up for myself and to do it kindly because i'll tell you i went through a combative phase where i wanted to fight about all of the things And it wasn't until much later that I realized, oh, okay, you can actually be very assertive and articulate about your stance that's in direct opposition to somebody else with the utmost grace and kindness. And that's truly what I teach now. But to your point, Amanda, you don't get there where you're actually able to speak up or say, hey, no, I don't want to do this business project with you or no, you can't keep taking my time or whatever else it might be if you don't believe that you're valuable. So this idea of the sort of that intersection between people pleasing and worthiness is this, that if you are constantly putting everyone else's wants, opinions and needs above yourself, 
you are sending a subconscious message to yourself over and over again that you just don't matter as much. And that's worth. That's I am not as worthy. I'm not enough. That person or making that person happy is, is more important. And the subconscious part of it is the so insidious part of it. That's is right. that, that that builds up over time and you don't even realize that's happening. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's my life story. <laughs> that's yeah. I mean, don't feel bad because that's everybody's life story. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I would say, I mean, I, I don't necessarily feel like I have this massive, amazing creative story necessarily. Uh, but I guess if we could skew it, it's, it was creating who I really wanted to be in this world, you know, versus what I thought everybody else thought I should be. And how you tell the story is so creative and vivid, I feel. Like, I feel like you coming to your, to that realization and that pivotal point, like, it was, that you just made that so visual for me. And I've, Good. so I feel I like. I say the same thing. That's, yeah. I feel like the story. That's, yeah. But just being able to talk like that. It's the same thing as, like, writing or painting. It's, that's a creative art in of itself. Like, Amanda and I have been talking about, Amanda and I have been talking on the show for a long time about how we each have our our creative things i have a scrapbooking business that i have and amanda worked for a planner company for a while she's an amazing scrapbooking planner person and ever since she's gone back to teaching she's had a lot less time for that but the show here and her being able to have these conversations that's filled her creative void so i don't want you to think that you are any less of a creative person because you don't you know physically glue things with paper or any of that because the way that you talk is that is a creative art well and i that's such a great point i i have always identified as a creative person absolutely but i haven't always identified my career as being creative i felt like once i left makeup artistry that okay now i'm in personal development but it just shows up different because you better believe when halloween comes around there's some kick-ass costumes and prosthetics and shit and uh and but now it shows up in like graphic design and like doing my websites and my visuals and all of that Mm -hmm. stuff so just show it just takes a different a different journey i guess and i think that's one of those things that i think it's really great for each of us to have and it's awesome to have guests like you on the show because it's one of those things that i love repeating of we are all the sum of our experiences. And so you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And if you didn't have your makeup artistry, then you wouldn't be Amy doing coaching the way you're doing it right now. You wouldn't be able to say the words that you're saying right now without everything that you did before. You would be doing it differently. Maybe you would be doing the same thing or have the same career, but you would be approaching it in a completely different way. Right, absolutely. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that I would impart to a lot of people that even my journey of entrepreneurship, whether your craft, your craft world is something that's your business or if it's hobby or a side hustle or whatever it looks like, I think that it's so easy for us to vote on the journey and what it looks like. Like why am, why am, especially if you have family that are like, why are you wasting all your time with that? You're not making any money, you know, or things like that where people want to disregard your process. I took a long ass time in coaching before I got to the place. I mean, I've been doing it for like 15 years. So the place I'm in now, I had to go through 
all of the struggle and all of the negative self-talk and feeling like I need to fit into a specific model. And I, I needed to go through all of that to get where I am now. So please, anyone listening, be quite gentle with your, your journey, even though it, it, there's, it is fraught, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's something that we could be extra gentle with ourselves, especially right now, because we have so much pressure of, well, you're staying home. You should have, you know, your side hustle, you know, business plan created, or you should be baking extra bread, or you should be <laughs> doing that extra thing. But yeah. as long as you take one step forward when you need to take one step forward, yeah. in time, you will have taken a lot of steps forward. Well, I think I love that you brought this up, Kristen, because I think this is something I'm seeing constantly with my students too and clients is this idea of, especially if you see people who are recovering perfectionists, like I need it to be flawless. So it's like, no, then why isn't all of my papers organized by rainbow color order? And why aren't my ribbons? And, you know, and <laughs> like, and we are trying so hard to hold on to any semblance of order and control when, when this is not fucking business as usual, this, right? what we are dealing with is a collective trauma and not just one state having a hurricane. We're dealing with every single state, every single country being affected by something that is absolutely terrifying. And we're experiencing a collective sense of grief. We're grieving not being able to go to the gym. We're grieving uh, concert tickets that got canceled. We're grieving uh, family that is susceptible to dying. We are grieving loss of employment. We're grieving having being able to be home alone without our partner. I was just going to say, alone time. Right. <laughs> and we're grieving all of that. And then we're comparing why we aren't. Yeah, why can't we be perfect? Why can't we be productive? Right? Why can't we be flawless? So one of the things that I've been doing, and so I'll impart to your audience as well, is everything that I do accomplish, whether it's I, I didn't get any workouts in, but I did go for a walk or I did get two workouts in or I did bake a bread or I did organize one cabinet or I got through an entire season of Dexter or whatever it is to say, take that accomplishment and say, I got in two workouts this week in the middle of a global pandemic <laughs> where, where we really look at well, I baked some bread. Well, I actually ate breakfast today in the middle of a global pandemic where we just give it a little more credence. Right. You know? So, yeah. I love that. that and it's so true. And we've been with every guest we've had in the past, like, three weeks. It just litters the whole conversation. Like, it, it real, that really is true. We've been saying that, like, that there's a lag in people's processing of that one line, like in the middle of a global pandemic, there's like a, a, a lag there. Yes. So we're responding to things as if it's business as usual. And it's so not. It's not. Yeah. 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 And, and grief hits us in crazy ways too. So the other, like th my day in and day life hasn't changed that much. And I find that for people like that, they tend to vote on themselves even more. Like, well, I don't have it. I don't have it very hard, so I should be. And I'm like, no, no, no. This is affecting everybody, and grief is not able to be calculated. So just the other morning, I was just just bawled my eyes out. Have no idea what the trigger. There was no trigger, 
it was just there's a collective energy there's things that we're feeling and to just not vote on whatever comes up for you that that's okay and that there's to your point Kristen there are ways to continue to take a step forward and sometimes that step forward is just acknowledging what you're feeling right sometimes it's just like oh okay I feel like it's like on a board game where you like you draw the card and it's just like oh, okay stay here for the next turn <laughs> Right. It's not it's not like move forward. It's not, you know, roll the dice and see how many you go. It's just like, you know, it's not even moving back. Yes. It's just. But you're still we're in, a global in the pandemic. Game. Right. We're still here. You know, yes. there's nothing bad. Nothing bad happened. You yeah. just have to, like, sit here and, like, take in what's happening because. Yeah. Yeah. There's stuff happening. So if you have to pause for a second and, like, take in what's happening, that's also not the worst thing. Yes. You know what's interesting is that, like, even that whole thing, you, that whole metaphor you just picked up where you pick up a card and it says, you know, stay here. As a people pleaser, and me and Kristen have talked about us going to therapy and we're big proponents of therapy and all that stuff. Sometimes, like, that, just picking up the card and that card giving you permission to sit here or having a therapist or you just said, that's okay, like, those words hit me like that. You need, we need, like, as a people pleaser, I've always needed the permission from somebody else, which is so interesting. Like, that card even giving you permission, like, it's easier to stand still when it says it on a card, (laughs) you know, or like, or feel like it's acceptable. It just is so interesting. A very easy, well, first of all, you're not alone in that because what, and what we have to understand about people pleasing or perfectionism, they're just simply behaviors that we use to cope. They're the ways in which we feel. Uh, a sense of control or the ways in which we felt safe. It's the same way uh, the the class clown de- develops humor to distract from whatever might be going on that, or even to say, here's my identity. We, we adopt any of these behaviors because it's the way that we can stay, 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 stay safe. So, you know, I think that there's a way to be compassionate towards people pleasing behavior or whatever else it is that you acknowledge about yourself and look at, well, no wonder I did that. I felt like that was how I could receive love or I felt like that's how I could maintain friendships or that's how I dealt with my family of origin, you know? So acknowledging, acknowledging it is huge because it's already the first step towards unlocking that and changing it. But you can absolutely write your own permission slips you know, and just say permission granted, you are allowed to take a day off and you are allowed to be unproductive. That can, that alone is like, are you sure though? I don't know. I don't, are you sure? And, and I don't think it's something that we can really concisely wrap up in, in one podcast, but it's, it's a part of doing the work. It's why you go to therapy. It's why you do programs or read books or, you know, things like that to start making that headway. Yeah, I was going to say, that's what therapy's done for me, is give me the vocabulary in my brain over time to let myself and have permission, like you said, like to just things that are so silly now. When I think about it, I'm like, of course, like, why wouldn't you, you know, but it, it really was such a hold on me. Yeah. Because like you said, it's just how I grew up and yeah. Well, I have I have a very easy tool that I could share with you all. Uh, around that and it's it's an acronym it's very simple it's it's fmt or sometimes i use the the words find my truth to help me remember it and the f stands for what are the facts of the situation 
right? So, and this can be an argument that you had with somebody where we start spinning and making up all the stories about what we should have said or why we're wrong. So facts are just the facts, right? So it could be the facts are, I am really trying to get, you know, a paper crafting business off the ground, or the facts are, I am in the middle of a global pandemic and there is an, an abundance of emotion that needs, that's calling for processing. Uh, the facts could be, I am struggling with self-belief. The facts could be, I have exactly three months income that I know that I have right now. And then beyond that, I don't know. So whatever your scenario is, you look at what are the actual facts. The second question is the M, what am I making up? What am I making up about this? And this is where hyperbole, this is where we say things like, it's not possible for me, or I'm not creative enough, or I, I'm not tech savvy enough to actually launch an online business in crafting. Uh, I can't figure out how to make downloadables, or uh, I could never speak up with my family because of how they would respond, or they're allowed Italian family, they then would never tolerate it. So we start making up all these additional scenarios. And then the T stands for truth. What is the truth? What is my truth? Because sometimes you'll be up against something where somebody else's perspective is very much their truth. Like with my anecdote about my mom, my mom will always believe that I am wrong spiritually. She will always believe that I chose poorly and that I am actually doing something wrong. That's her truth. That's hers to carry, not me. So my truth is that's not acceptable to me. And I find it actually fairly offensive. So when we when you look at breaking down any scenario and, and your entry point is usually when you find your mind spinning especially uh -huh. about making up what other people think or you know how people might perceive what you've created even uh -huh. people don't get what i do my family doesn't get what i do whatever uh to go okay what's the fact what are the facts the facts are i do this business and or I create these things and my family doesn't get it. What am I making up? I'm making up that that means that I'm somehow less than or that I shouldn't or that I need to over explain myself. What is the truth? The truth is I love what I'm doing. I am I know that I am naturally creative, resourceful and whole. I know, you know, fill in the blank. But you come back to your truth. Yeah, that's what I've been doing more lately. But it's interesting, like. So I wonder if I find this with my family because I have the, a similar type of dynamic with my family. Like I've had the whole conversation with my dad in the car of like me thinking like, like you said in the beginning, like daughter points or like kicking ass of being daughter and like good kid, like all those phrases you were using. I was like, yep, I've thought that. I've thought, you know, and so I have this dynamic with my family where like it's not that I'm changing when I'm in fr when I'm around them, but that energy there, like you're saying, that dynamic, like, yeah, kind of, it doesn't alter my truth. My truth is always here, but I'm like, if I want this interaction to go smooth, then I have to like bend, sort of. So my question is like, around your mom, do you bend slightly? Like I always feel like around them, I'm a different person. Like I'm not. I'm me inside, and I know what I'm doing, but it's like just to let the intera interaction go smooth sometimes. <laughs> I like have to be this different person a little bit, you know, I don't know. So I want, so the, I guess that's my question. Is well, I would, I would push back a little bit and say, you don't have to, you choose to. Mm -hmm. um, 
and we choose to for a number of reasons, but I do think disproportionately as women, we learn how to silence ourselves from a very early age. In fact, we have so many idioms around it. Don't rock the boat. Don't open up a can of worms. Uh, sweep it under the rug. We have all these ways to say, shut the fuck up and don't actually take a stand. The other thing is that you don't actually have to get in a full on conversation with anybody about anything, even if you're asked about it. So what I do is I operate under this mantra of, do not allow your silence to make you a liar. So do I bring up shit just to talk about stuff that we aren't on the same page about? Absolutely not. But if something gets mentioned that I don't agree with, I sure as fuck am not saying silent. But I'm also not gonna, I'm not gonna get into it. I'm gonna say, you right. know what? I actually don't share that opinion, but we certainly don't need to get into it. But I'm not, I'm not gonna allow anyone to think that I'm complicit or I'm okay with that. I had a situation, actually, I'll give you an example. Uh, sometimes I do community theater, speaking of creative stuff. And there was a show I was doing with a gentleman who showed me on his phone a picture of a meme that was very disparaging to a mentally and physically disabled child. To me, that doesn't constitute comedy. It wasn't funny at all to me. The easy thing in that moment, as he's showing me like, haha, isn't this funny, would be to go, oh yeah, and walk away. But I knew that that would not be of integrity because that isn't okay with me. But I'm also not gonna talk to you about it forever. So I just said, hey, man, are you kidding me? I, I don't find that funny. Please don't share that stuff with me. All right, see you on stage later, right? So just know you don't have to get into it. You can say, I'm actually not super comfortable getting into it. I just, I just don't share that opinion. I have been better at that. I have been a lot better at that. <laughs> Good. But most of my adult life was the other way. Yeah, Like, and sure. I still, and I find that like, I'm having a lot more surface conversations with my parents because that's what the interaction calls for. Because it's yes. anytime I get deeper or true, I guess, it just becomes this like can of worms that, it's because like you're saying their truth is skewed or their truth is whatever. Yeah. Well, but I, I don't think, I don't think you have to go looking for punishment. Um, so what I, what I do with my mom is I look for the commonalities the things that we can discuss. Yeah. Um, we have extremely polarized religious and political views. Those are, those are the things that we're convicted about. Those are the things that we would live and die for. We've tried having conversations about that and it usually doesn't go the best so what and what i've said is you know i would rather us connect on levels that we do have in common but that usually means household stuff decor food right that doesn't really matter but i have right. to recognize that you know one thing that i say all the time is speak your truth into ears that can hear you not all ears can hear you and sadly, a lot of times that's our family. So I, it's not about picking a fight. It is about not allowing your silence to make you a liar, but then being really intentional about what's best in service of this relationship. You know, it might be a little bit more surface than yeah. so, that might not be where you get your deep spiritual conversation. Yeah. Even if you wish it could be. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like the acceptance of it being what it is. Right. And not trying to change it. But I love that. Not all ears can hear you. That's right. so true. And 
usually the place we get we stumble there is in the ones that we really want to hear us you know like we really wish our sister got it or our parent usually it's our parents in some way and um and that that takes some mourning you know because what we do is we try to do the same damn thing over and over again and hope we get a different result you know yeah. that they'll somehow magically step up and we don't get that so sometimes it's just about you know i had to go through a very distinct place of grieving that like i will never have the relationship that I would ideally want. But I also recognize that that has created the woman that I am too. Yeah. yeah. I feel that too. Like, I feel like I'm a lot more wise about things and I can see it in other people and be more empathetic because I know that life. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Totally. So then the, so then the joy junkie as a brand like it offers so like what how could people sign up and like be a part of like what you can offer them with this all this stuff yeah so uh i have tons of freebies i would say you know pretty much on all social social media you can find me under the handle at the joy junkie uh and then if you go to my website thejoyjunkie.com uh and junkie is j-u-n-k-i-e some people mm -hmm. do KY for some reason, mm. but at KIE, uh, there you'll see that there, I have like a free workbook and it's also an audiobook format. There's free workshops. I do a podcast. There's all sorts of free stuff if you just go to the site. And I think, I think with any type of person that you learn from or in any way, whether it's business or crafts or whatever, that, it, that it's the messenger you want to hear from. You know, I think that's why a lot of times therapy doesn't work for people is because they got forced to go to see this particular person mm -hmm. instead of looking for a synergistic relationship that, you know, they feel safe with. So I'd rather people just get to know. I know you guys are talking about like your logo and people kind of know right away, either this is a craft podcast for me or not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very much that way in personal development. It's like, you'll know very quickly if it's, if it resonates or it doesn't. You know, so you might as well try on a bunch of free stuff. So every anything at my site is great, thejoyjunkie.com. That's awesome. And then if they like what they hear, they can commission to work with you and on a more like personal level. And yeah, you help them it, through their personal stuff. I, I, I do only do one coaching program. I got really serious about this about two years ago where I realized that I only was interested in radical transformation. I wasn't going to do like one or two week workshops or it just it doesn't work when you're trying to actually rewire the subconscious mind and so i do one program that i limit to a very small and if you're interested in that check out the workshop that's on my site <clears throat> so if you go to the joyjunkie.com workshop you'll see it and you can have a watch through it and that's more if you're actually interested in going deeper and wanting to to do something a little bit more serious and change. So, yeah, but why not get free stuff first? Oh, awesome. Yeah. I feel like I want to know, like, so I just want to know everything. I want to know so much more. I've been listening to you guys talk, and I'm more on the recovering perfectionist side of things. So that's me, and I've just been nodding along the entire time. But I'm also on the... I want to know everything about your business side of things because there are just so many different things. So we're obviously going to have to have you come back on the show to talk about either one of those things okay. and all those other things too. <laughs> um, but 
the one thing I do want to ask you here while we have you is when you got into coaching, yeah. how did you decide who you wanted to help? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, well, I've, I knew from the very beginning when I, when I actually started accumulating the education and going to for my certification and getting coaching uh, school handled, my whole perspective was relationships. I'm definitely going to be in the field of relationships because I've been with my husband for 22 years and I had, I knew that there was successful things that we had done that I felt that I could impart to others. So my niche from the beginning was I'm going to help people make relationships work. Well, then as I got involved in that, I started realizing that there were so many people who weren't willing to actually take the steps that I was coaching them to do because they didn't value who they were. And I started realizing, okay, there's a much different issue here around believing that your voice matters to begin with and then having the actual semantics and phrases to say to people. Like, what do I actually say to somebody who asks me a question about why don't you have kids yet? Like, what do I say? Or, you know, uh, instead of getting caught up in, in over explaining ourselves or apologizing for ourselves. So that, that changed for me because I started my business in 09 and it was definitely a relationship focus. And then I went through a total rebrand in 2015. And what I did is I went back and I looked at a couple of things. What are the things that I'm really, really good at? And and then where does that intersect with what are the things that I actually really like talking about? And I loved talking about worthiness and believing in ourselves and how that then infiltrates our relationships and how we're able to speak up for ourselves. So that was sort of the evolution. I think that's so important. I think that's one of the biggest things in relationships. And we've talked about this too, is that, and not, not even just romantic relationships, any kind of relationships is if you can't communicate then you're going to run into problems and problems and problems and you're going to run into the same problems. Right. And if you, if you don't have the words to express how you're feeling or how you're thinking or anything, then you can't fix your problem. That's right. And so coming, bringing that all back to the root and saying, you know, this is the problem I want to solve. These are the people I want to help. That's, that's fantastic. That's really brilliant. And I think this is such a problem that we have culturally, like with women. Yes, yeah. women, this is all our fault, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> um, but it's the, it's the subtle distinction between being of service and being a servant. Right. And when we are in relationships and we're people-pleasing, we are serving Right. Instead of trying to be of service to the people we love. Right. And, you know, all of us here are good people. We try to be the best humans that we can be. And yeah. a lot of us are recovering perfectionists trying to get that 100 on a test because that means that we won't be punished. And yeah. like, you know, from whomever, the teacher, the yeah. principal, the whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. the whole class won't be punished because then the whole class's grade will be high enough. Mm -hmm. But the, what I'm thinking of as you're saying this is like a weird dynamic that I see as a teacher. Like 
as the student, I was always the good student. Someone tells me what I need to do, I'm doing it like a hundredfold. Then you grow up as an adult and you become the teacher, like literally. And you're the one calling the shots, but there was still that energy there of, no, 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 I need to get the A or the hundred as the teacher. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's sure. interesting you saying the hundred because that if you grow up with that feeling, it still stays with you when you're calling shots. And then the anxiety just turns into something else. You're never doing enough to get that hundred. Right. I'm Which talking I about think... societal expectations on women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting. And I see it with all my teacher friends, too. And I'm like, we can relax. Like, we're the one. Right. Uh, you're the ones that make the grade. You're the decider. And I think that's the other thing is that we talked about the arrival fallacy at the beginning of the show. And it's like, you're right. You're never there. So even if you get the quote unquote hundred, it's like, oh, well, we got the hundred. Maybe, maybe we really should have made this test out of 110. <laughs> if we got a hundred, then it was probably too easy. So it probably should have been harder. And so it's all of those thoughts that like really just need to not, not happen anymore because yeah, why? Well, I'll tell you exactly why. Um, because we develop, uh, so basically up until the age of about eight years old, we are highly, highly suggestible. So we haven't developed the critical factor of the mind, which basically discerns the difference between logic and reason. And then what anchors in at like a real belief level. That's why a lot of people are like the tooth fairy though. You know, we start (laughs) going like, "Mm," instead of just being highly suggestible and understand, and this is because I am a hypnotherapist as well. So we learn a lot about how the subconscious is wired. So basically what happens is that critical factor of the mind, whatever is now locked in by age eight, eight ish, is typically what's become true. So if you grew up in a family where uh, there was a lot of pressure to be perfect, or even it was a, it doesn't even have to be overtly pressurized. It could be something that you inferred where you saw that uh, your family always said, well, it's, it's a good idea to get good grades so that you can get a good job one day. And maybe it seemed was really innocuous but you registered in your mind, you took the facts and then you made something up and that's how we create the belief. And then it's locked into the subconscious part of the brain. So that becomes our truth. And so we continue throughout the rest of our life operating under that being the truth. So a lot of, and the beast of it is that our conscious mind, which is roughly 12% of the mind. (laughs) That's a really low number. (laughs) That was lower than I thought it was gonna be. It's only about 12%. That's where we still house logic, reason, rationale. And then our subconscious is 88% of the brain. So like you were talking about, Kristen, if you logically know that you shouldn't hold on so tightly to getting that 100% or that doesn't matter, I did do well, you know that logically. Subconsciously, you've got a lot more percentage that's running the show that's saying, oh, no, 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 that doesn't equate feeling valuable or feeling worthy. So that process of kind of breaking through that critical factor that drops things down into the subconscious is key. Um, and it's possible, but one of the things that, that does that is through repetition. That's why how we speak to ourselves 
over and over and over again is what drops down and anchors things into the subconscious. So if you're used to always telling yourself that you're you're shitty at crafting or you're not very creative or you you don't put things together as well as so and so on Pinterest, you know, and you reinforce that, that continues to be your your truth. But you have to start kind of knocking against that critical factor because once we do that, if we keep going over and over again, like, no, I am creative or no, I am putting something amazing into the world or no, I do believe that I'm enough. Enough times the critical factor goes, okay, fine. I guess she's serious. And it lets it drop into the, just come the reality. So that, I mean, that's a very scientific and very quick synopsis of what it's like to, to change your belief about who you are. I got going there. <laughs> oh, I, that's amazing. No, that's fantastic. I love it. It was absolutely wonderful <laughs> yeah so thank you that. you're welcome so interesting i i've been i was thinking about all you said with because i do uh i have like i got cheated for ocd and we do it's called erp but i'm trying to think what the e stands for oh um response prevention i can't think of what the e is now okay but but they talk about how with OCD, like the automatic signals your brain gives. It's like a, which is yeah. kind of on the same wavelength mm-hmm. that you were talking about. But instead, they call it like a false alarm, like a car alarm. Like if you hear a car alarm outside, you're not going to react to it because it's out of your control. It's like an, an automatic thing that's happening. Yep. yep. So it's interesting to compare that to what you're saying. Like a right. functional brain even does those kind of things. Right. And, so, oh yeah, absolutely. Anyway. But it's the repetition of and the habitualizing of stuff that gets the brain like you have to like do it over time. That's right. Well, like and you were saying. I mean, one of the one of the fast tracks is through hip, hypnosis, you know, and there's a handful of things that that you can do to actually access the subconscious of what's really happening there. Um, part of it's through journaling. By the time you get you ever do this where you do a journaling and you start with your writing is all perfect at the top and then by the time you get to the very bottom of the page it's like yeah. um, you can that's usually when you've started to dip into the subconscious and you're being a little bit more truthful and honest about what's going on for you and so there's a handful of ways but to actually really change it the easiest thing is repetition i mean we think about riding a bike or driving a car things that we don't have to consciously think at all about them. That is wired into the subconscious, but it happened through a clunky ass process where, I mean, I remember being like seven, being like, I will never ride this fucking bike. I will, I will never be able to do this. And all just wobbling all over. And, and now it's like, you know, no big deal, of course, because it's wired in, but that is not dissimilar to any other pattern you're trying to change any other thing. But here's what happens. Some guru or some expert says, oh, just believe in yourself. Just just say all these affirmations. (laughs) And so you do. And you say, okay, I believe that I'm enough. And you're that critical factor of the mind, which is essentially the inner critic is like, that's fucking bullshit. You are not enough. You're not creative. And so what do we do? We throw in the towel and we don't repeat it. We don't go through it over and over again. So it's about finding what are those small little things that you can do one of the things that I suggest when it comes to self-talk is what I like to call progressive language. So instead of saying, like, for instance, I have a student right now who is an artist. And so instead of saying, like, I believe that I am an artistic genius or 
you know, I, my creative prowess is just amazing. We'll work on saying things like, I am embracing where I'm at creatively, or I am exploring what it looks like to value my own creativity or my own creations or my artwork. So it's, it's kind of saying I'm on my way or I am committed to changing my relationship with my art or, you know, yeah. Something that gives you, those are so good. Those are because they seem so much more realistic. Right. Because you're basically what you're trying to do is fool that little, that critical factor of the brain because it's trying to keep you safe so what it's doing is it's saying oh no no we know two things we know knowns and we know unknowns and we know what it's like to be a people pleaser we know that it's easy we know what that's like to be a perfectionist let's stay there that's homeostasis that's safe so it's always going to be fighting for that like oh wait you want to be empowered oh wait you want to speak up for yourself fuck no we don't know how to do that so it sends in all the reserves that sounds like negative self-talk like Hey, no, no, it's not safe to stand up for yourself. Don't do it. But that's why those little workarounds help to kind of talk to that little critical, that inner critic part of yourself and say like, hey, 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 I get it. You're scared. We don't know what it's like to feel powerful in our work or to feel like we're super creative. I get why you're scared. Pipe down, you know, or to say, hey, I'm not saying I'm the end all be all genius. I'm just saying. I would like to embrace my create my creativity, you know? So you're kind of working around that, that little guard in a little more of a slick way, more effective way. Totally. I love I it. Yeah. Fantastic. Cool. All right. So this season, season six of the show is our season of resilience. And we've been asking everyone, what is the way that resilience has come up for you in your life, either in the past or maybe right now? Um, and how, how has, how has it been showing up for you? Well, I think, you know, my first thought was, you know, what resilience really means to me is the idea of being able to name and own my own shit. Because especially right now in the climate that we're in, our gut instinct when we're suffering and that's what happens when we need to call for resilience right we're suffering in some way our instinct is to blame whose fault is it why are things so shitty and our and when we blame we're not looking at how we've shown up if there's anything we could do better if there's things that we can process um we're just staying really external about, well, if only our government would get the shit together. You know, it's like, well, yeah, that can be true. And you still need to take some ownership over, over your own process. So the way it showed up for me recently, and, I, and I'm thinking that a lot of people can relate to this, like we're not really given any handbooks on how to process altercations with friendships, right? Like you can find a million and one books about marriage and relationships, but when you, I mean, you ladies probably know when there's an issue at hand in a friendship, especially if you do business with a friend, which I have, I do with my best friend as well. We have a a podcast and you know, there were some things that were coming up and my instinct in the past had been, no, don't, don't bother. Don't talk about it. You know, just sweep it under the rug, all the idioms. And now it's gotten to the point where I physically feel it. If there's something I really need to speak up about, like it hurts in my solar plexus 
And, and so we had a really, really rough conversation and I had to, in order for that, for us to surpass that and really be resilient and move beyond, both of us had to really look at our piece in the matter. And, and we did, fortunately, we're both life coaches, so we, it worked, but I, I really had to stand back and tell her before I can even have this conversation with you, I need to unpack some of my stuff. I need to look at where, where is jealousy showing up here? And I need to own that so that I don't come to this conversation from a place of blame. So that, you know, immediately when I thought of resilience, I thought now our, now it's even better. You know, now the relationship is even closer because we've had that stumbling block, you know? And I think that's something that we don't realize about resilience is it actually leads to strength. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's one of the cool things about it is when you're through, not, and it's not really a through thing, through isn't the right word, but once past. You surmounted it, yeah. Right, once you're on the other side of the event. Yeah you've gained so much. Yeah. And like, even if you've also lost some things Mm -hmm. or stuff has happened, if we're talking about it from a state of resilience, it's a net positive. Yep. Yeah. Your example, Amy, was like, it tied resilience to me so close to vulnerability because you need to be able to do that if you're going to Bill your guts, quote unquote, or like speak your truth or own your shit. Yep. And yeah. how many people are not willing to be vulnerable? Like sometimes yeah. that's the biggest thing to hurdle. Oh, for sure. I mean, we could do a whole episode just on vulnerability. Yeah. But, but the key, you know, the key around that is vulnerability is scary as shit, for sure. And I think a lot of times we annex it with, uh, with weakness. And I would encourage everybody to think about vulnerability is actually a superpower. As long as you wield it in the right direction. I don't think vulnerability is for every fucking person you meet. And sometimes it's not even for family. You know, it's truly about speak your truth into ears that can hear you. So in this situation, this was a friendship that was absolutely worth the vulnerability. You know, and not all relationships are that way, but you have to dig in and look at, am I just afraid of genuinely being seen or is this relationship truly not worth the tough conversation? And that's a different answer every time. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. That's a great point. (sighs) Fantastic. So good. Okay. So we're going to conclude the episode before we head to after chatter with our currently round. And so we're going to take off of Kristen's currently card that people can find at areyoukristen.com slash currently. And we're going to read it aloud and do it on the podcast with you, Amy. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay. So what are you currently watching? We've, we just finished, well, we finished watching all of Dexter uh, we I watched it years and years ago. We rewatched it, and now we just finished, and we're watching a hundred humans. It's like a pseudoscience experimental thing about human behavior. That answers a question, a different question every episode, right? I've yeah, seen it. yeah, yeah. It's fun. Five and one. Yeah, fun. Um, what are you currently reading? I'm reading a book called. I mean, this kind of fits with the 
the religious theme, a book called Pure. It's by Linda K. Klein, and it's about inside the evangelical movement that shamed a generation. Wow. And so it's it it's a discussion of uh, religious upbringing and how that pairs with the the not enoughness, the the worthiness feeling, lack nice. of worthiness. Yeah, very. I have to take it in stages because it's very triggering for me. Oh yeah, yeah. I feel like it would be for me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. What are you currently listening to? I am obsessed with Brene Brown's new podcast. It's called Unlocking Us, I believe. Yeah, and um, lots of great nuggets there. Yeah. I, didn't I know she had that. one. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. What are you currently making? Uh, lately, I've been making a lot of hypnotherapy tracks, actually, for students. And that's another freebie that you guys can find, too. That one's actually hidden. It's thejoyjunkie.com slash anxiety. But I have a, it's a hypnosis track that can help with a lot of the fear and anxiety that's happening right now. But I've been making a lot of that for students and, and clients and stuff. Yeah. What are you currently feeling? Grief. Grief that is kind of a whole bunch of mixed emotions sometimes sometimes I feel amazed like today's been really really great and then other days I'm just blue um and I've mm -hmm. just learned to not vote on it just allow yeah it. totally yeah. what are you currently planning pretty much nothing I think that's what I, I had <laughs> I, wrote not, I wrote not much um totally fair I feel like we're at this place right now where we're we are we've adopted the understanding that this is going to be longer than we thought uh but we kind of have no idea what else we're looking at like do kids go back next year to school we don't know you know right so they ask just, me every day yeah <laughs> is God. it gonna be tomorrow are we going back tomorrow is it anytime i say i have news for them they're like are we going back to school yeah so planning just, not much pretty much just each day at a time i'd say yeah Perfect. Nice. And lastly, what are you currently loving? Um, as many people as I can, as much as I can, practicing that instead of blame, you know, to like when I'm tending to blame, but also Tazo tea and 72% dark chocolate mm. <laughs> and whiskey, if I'm honest. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. I so love this conversation with you, Amy. Oh, good. I had Thank a Thank you so much. Thank yes, you. this has been absolutely wonderful. I cannot wait to have you back on the show. Oh, I'd be honored. Thank you. Fantastic. It makes me so happy. We will be back next week with another amazing episode of Crafty Ass Female. If you want to catch more with Amy, we're going to go and head over to the After Chatter show. We'll be a little bit on video. And like I've been telling you lately, guys, this is a bonus podcast. So you can catch 100 episodes of the bonus podcast, 100 videos of the bonus show. And that's all over on patreon.com slash crafty ass female. We love you a lot. We hope that you have a wonderful week and we'll catch you next Monday. Bye guys. Love you a lot. Bye.